host you. As always, I am your beloved host, Mary Jane, and this is her story. Writing this episode was a challenge. Um, Poor Andrew knows this. I, like, almost canceled because of the monsoons. Uh, Last night when I had the flu while at a bar with 50 bananas, and no, I will not be explaining that, Mm. I was able to write this, and the sun was shining, there was another tornado on the horizon, and God bless the hearts of those Starbucks employees when I was working on this two days ago, but I was drinking the worst coffee I have had in months. So it got me thinking about things I'm grateful for, and I am so grateful to be part of a long tradition of female researchers and storytellers. Today's episode is dedicated despite like also to Andrew's patience, but overall today's episode is dedicated to the scholars who unearth all these fun and depressing historical tidbits for me to pass on to you. It's come to my attention that's been a hot minute since we've done a pro Where is the English today? I just don't have it. It's just not here with me. We're gonna try that again, guys. It's come to my attention that it's been a hot minute since we have done a profile piece. So hold on to your hats and grab your Temple of Doom popcorn box because we are going into a deep dive into the history of women in archaeology. For how important research into the past is for our understanding of how we've developed as humans, archaeology has been a pretty problematic practice. The whole practice of archaeology started in the 15th and 16th century, when the common vibes held art and humanities in high esteem. You probably heard of the Renaissance, this love of Greek and Roman history and learning that kind of fueled this desire to learn more about our past. Historically, archaeology is a fancy word, however, for grave robbing. When the practice first came about, these researchers were usually in it for hauling gold and mummies off to museums in their home countries, Europeans, Instead of focusing on cultural preservation or understanding the historical biology and culture of the excavation sites. In case you don't believe me, which I don't know why you wouldn't at this point, I'm pretty accredited. In Victorian England, the rich would host unboxing parties where they would unwrap ancient Egyptian mummies in their homes and just check out the bodies and often eat them. Y'all heard me correctly. Mummy dust was thought to be a youthful and reviving substance that was often thrown into beauty products like it was vitamin C. So this is what we're working with in terms of responsible archaeology. Funny story, actually. There's a little side note for you. I went to what I really hope is the only high school in the world that has a mummy, a real Egyptian mummy from Cleopatra VII's time. Apparently, some rich people out of Chicago bought it, kept it in their basement, just donated it to my high school, and my school kept it in their basement until they realized they had a dead person in storage. Apparently, there are so many Egyptian mummies scattered across Chicago museums and hospitals because of these crazy rich people from, like, the 19th century bopping around Egypt with money, mummies, and irresponsible decisions. No one would take the mummy from the school, so now it's just in our history office. I'm telling you, irresponsible archaeology has weird consequences, including making my high school the only one with a mummy, so, mmm. Blast from the past. I put this in parentheses. As I write this now, I have finished my shitty coffee, and the guy sitting across me keeps giving me dirty looks for how loud I am. 
Let me slurp in peace, sir. I do appreciate that the book he's reading looks vaguely feminist. Anyway, back to the story. So, women in archaeology and other historical and educational practices were pretty much fighting an uphill battle. Even though archaeology had no other qualifications than you needed money and probably, like, no morals in some situations, it was still, like, it was a boy's game. This is true both in terms of limitations to women in society and, of course, you know, it was pretty much a free-for-all tomb robbery. Two 19th century women who kind of got the ball rolling on this teamed up to pave the way for women in archaeology. They were Hild Petri and Grace Molly Mary Crawford. Crowfoot? I don't know. These are so much weird Victorian names. Hild was born June 8, 1871 in Dublin, and her interests in the antique and natural world began when she visited museums of London during her childhood. Hild attended King's College for Women, where she was extremely proficient in geology and drawing. When Hild was 25, a friend she used to model for introduced her to Flinders Petrie, a British Egyptologist. The pair began working together and eventually married. We don't have time to get into that whole marrying your boss thing. 10 out of 10, don't recommend, but mm, that's not my business. The pair worked together on many excavations in Egypt, where Hild played an active role sketching and copying sites and inscriptions, instead of just keeping house at camp like most women did. Hild co-conducted and later directed many of her own excavations, where her impeccable recordings of hieroglyphics and her development of the British School of Archaeology in Egypt pushed the needle forward in Egyptology. One of her eventual partners was Grace Crowfoot. I can't tell if Molly was a nickname or if she just went by Grace full-time, so sorry, love, we're just rolling with Grace. In 1879, when she was born, this noble English lady grew up in a very wealthy family and had a grandfather who loved collecting curiosities and antiques. So, you know, family connections. Grace became a midwife and eventually moved to Egypt with her husband, archaeologist John Winter Crowfoot. Again, wild names. During World War I, the couple bopped over to Sudan. Grace learned weaving from local communities of women and was able to assist Hild in her work by comparing the weaving techniques that were similar to those of ancient Egypt. What I am saying is she was so versed in Sudanese weaving in the 19th century, she was able to provide research into textile weaving in Egypt during the 11th century BCE. Grace pioneered textile archaeology and worked with other women in the field, especially Scandinavian women. She would eventually inspire her own daughter, Dorothy Hodgkins, into scientific exploration, which would lead Dorothy to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry. Honestly, you could turn this whole episode into a workout regimen. Do a push-up every time I say the word archaeology. I swear I've said it so many times. And I bet you all thought, I could make this into a drinking game. That was honestly my first thought, too, but apparently I should be setting better examples. Zelia Nettle was a Mexican-American archaeologist who fought against the racist depictions of indigenous pre-colonial civilizations as bloodthirsty and savage in Mexico. Born September 6, 1857 in San Francisco, her love of Aztec and Mexican history guided her from age 8 to becoming a historian and preserver of culture. She wrote articles, excavated sites, fought for the education of indigenous archaeologists, and did it all while raising her daughter, Nadine, 
on her own after separating from her husband and gaining sole custody under her maiden name. Yes, I love it. One of her biggest excavations was La Isla de Sacrificios, a small, potentially haunted island, which she discovered and, you know, given the name, was for human sacrifice. However, her sexist boss cut her funding and forced the son of her incompetent, grave-robbing arch-nemesis, Salvador Batres, to supervise her on the dig. The Batreses destroyed priceless art on the island and took credit for all of Zelia's work. So, rather than, take, rather than taking it lying down, Zelia forced newspapers to run corrections, resigned from her job, published a 42-page diss track of what really happened, and was so brutal it convinced the Mexican government to give the Batreses the boot. Zelia Nuttall was also an incredible botanist that cultivated plants indigenous to regions within Mexico. Also, just fun note, she was such a badass that once, when she was descending the stairs of her home to greet two male guests because she was the ultimate hostess, her skirt ripped and completely flew off. And I'm assuming she was just either in her undergarments or fully naked. She kept going on, shaking hands and welcoming everybody. Just... With everything showing, because she had that much decorum. God, I love her. She might be my favorite. I don't think I can pick favorites, but damn, I love her. Tatiana Prokuryavkov. Prokuryavkov. Such a Russian name. Was a phenomenal linguist, born at January 23rd, 1909 in Tomsk, Russia. She eventually immigrated to the United States, I believe in 1916. She was the only woman to graduate from her class from Pennsylvania State's College of Architecture in 1930, and eventually she started working in historical preservation at Carnegie. Tatiana specialized in Mayan history, and she created a new dating system for pre-Columbian Mayan monuments, using her skill as an artist to record and recreate these structures, to imagine what life really would have been like. It was Tatiana's deciphering of Mayan texts and hieroglyphics that eventually revolutionized the field. Her translations solved decades of debates over excavation sites, and her work has led to so many breakthroughs in understanding Mayan history and culture. Also, if you're noticing that a majority of these women are white, good catch. This was still, for the most part, Pretty. This is a sexist industry, but you have to realize the consequences of most of these archaeologists being white. Alice Cunningham was a critically important American archaeologist and historian that traveled to live among different indigenous groups in America, most no notably the Omaha, to record musical traditions of different peoples and the importance of ceremony, as well as contribute to field work. Alice was an important bridge between indigenous reservations and governments, developing many educational opportunities to further the progression of American archaeology and historical societies. But Alice's beliefs did have consequences. She believed in assimilating indigenous peoples into white culture for their own survival, and this could have very real implications on her work. When you have a white archaeologist interpreting indigenous culture, you can lose a lot of important perspective. So, yeah, kind of freaking dodgy here. It's a hard line to walk because these women did a lot of important work to preserve history. 
But because most of these historians are still not of the culture, we lose a lot of important perspective when it comes to historical preservation. Zhang Zhenjian was born in 1929 in Hebei, China, and she is considered the first lady of archaeology in China for her work with Shang Dynasty tombs, studying a period of history that lasted from 1600 to 1046 BCE. In 1950, Zhenjiang was the first female student at Peking University's archaeology department, eventually graduating with a master's. She worked for the Chinese Academy of Sciences archaeology department, choosing to pursue fieldwork instead of a teaching position, moving up to oversee all of Aoyang region's excavations, which, I mean, huge deal, because mostly women were involved in fieldwork, but even getting into lecturing was a big deal, so the fact that she's running all of this is a boss-ass bitch. I just gotta put it out there. In 1976, Zhenjiang's excavation of a Shang Palace in Zhangyu was like the biggest thing maybe happening in archaeology at the time. And despite the workers thinking the job was impossible, Zhenjiang's guidance and expertise led to one of the most incredible discoveries in Chinese archaeological history. Let me give you a little biography of the badass excavated heroine Zhenjiang discovered in the tomb of Fu Hao. So basically, we discovered this unknown tomb, Fu Hao, kind of the coolest thing you've ever heard about. So around 1200 BCE, King Wu Ding decided to forge alliances by marrying one woman from each local tribe, so that led Fu Hao being one of 64 wives in the Shang Dynasty kingdom. Her tomb has given so much insight into the power structures and dynamics of wives in imperial courts, who were often more times slaves than partners, and has told us how Fu Hao became one of the most powerful three consorts, even birthing a royal son. Wu Hao was also a priestess and the most powerful general in the Shang dynasty and led her people through many victorious campaigns with some of the most famous generals in the kingdom working under her. We know all of this because of the jade, oracle bones, jewelry, and hella weapons unearthed in her tomb by Zhen Zhang, who is still alive and kicking. In the year of our Lord Pedro Pascal, April 5th, 2023, Zhen Zheng is 94 years old. Toast to a badass. And because of her work, we know so much about Shang Dynasty women's roles, culture, that women were active in the military, and that Wu Fao was such a big deal. She was buried with so much more weapons than usually any traditional warrior. And we even know about women were involved in the military, including at least 600 female soldiers who participated in battle and were likely under the command of Fu Hao. According to some sources, around half of all archaeologists today are women. That's really, really awesome. And we could go on talking about this forever, but because there may or may not be a tornado coming and I need to respect Andrew's time, let's just go through a real quick highlight reel of names for you guys to investigate. Jane Dulefo was a French writer and archaeologist of ancient Iran who excavated the city of Susa. Tough for sending that stuff to the Louvre. Cool museum, probably full of stolen stuff, but she's still a cool name. 
bopped around, wore men's clothing, did a bunch of disguise. Basically, if Mulan was an archaeologist, you'll love it. Baiza Haikal was an Egyptian archaeologist that paved the way for women, especially those who were actually Egyptian, to study and excavate in Nubia. Anna Apatowski was the first woman to be accepted in the Archaeological Society of Athens and spearheaded women's growing roles and lecturing, doing work in her native Crete. And, of course, modern ladies like modern archaeologist Shahina Farid, who is studying Neolithic sites in Anatolia. Of course, we're going to have to circle back eventually to the role of women perpetuating the removal of critical cultural works from their native sites. I'm looking at you, British Museum. Really, this could go on all day. Blaming museums and expressing gratitude and criticism of historical preservation. But archaeology, when done right, uncovers incredible stories that teach us more about ourselves. We owe all that good, bad, and ugly to the woman who literally rediscovered history. Her story. The clock is ticking, and so, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot thank you enough, and I look forward to seeing you again next week for another woman who made her story. (laughs) 